All right, welcome into another episode, RJ Bell's Dream Preview College Basketball Edition. I am AJ Hoffman. He is Griffin Warner, and it is post feast week time. Griffin, how you doing, man? I am exhausted. If you can't see it in my eyes, I swear to God, there have been college basketball games going on from dawn till dusk. Uh, what time zone is it? I'm not sure, but uh, it's been a great run. I've been basically spending my whole time trying to make rotations out of these new rosters, which is driving me insane. And then trying to figure out why my numbers are four points off what the market is saying. And then most of them I'm winning, which has been an awesome start. Um, but uh, a lot of scratching my head and wondering, do I trust myself? Do I give up? What do I do here? But it's been a good start and try to keep that going. Man, I have been on, I've been on both sides of it, so I can't complain, but like the I'll have a side where in the first half it looks like I'm totally dead and then I come back and win or a side that I think is going to just cruise to an easy victory and then it comes back and the other team wins like uh, that happened to me today with with two Ivy League schools. I don't know. Well, for whatever reason, I bet on two Ivy League schools today, Yale and Harvard. There we go. Yale minus six. I mean, they're winning by like 30 at one point. And the, I mean, they just melt. And it's, you know, at the end of the game, they lose that game outright. And then Harvard, same way. They're, I mean, they're playing even with Indiana. I'm catching seven points. I feel like, man, this is going to be an easy cover. And they just unravel. So, uh, but I've, again, I've had plenty of those go my way as well. So I, I can't complain too much, but, but it, it is wild what, what halftime does to some of these teams. Uh, but the, I, it's not like I could even say, well, I just, if I play first half, I'd be okay. Cause I've, I've won with it as much as I've lost. So it's just, I mean, I guess it's a flip of the coin on which way it's going to go. I, I, I'm starting to like feel better when I'm losing at halftime than, uh, than when I've got a comfortable lead. Yeah. Uh, it's a long game, I guess. Uh, some coaches seem to matter more than others. Um, I do think you want to win the first half, uh, side if you can, um, to try to hold on for dear life at the end. I think that's a better thing long-term, but honestly, some of these turnarounds have been incredible and, uh, it's really what makes college basketball so great. Well, we had a bunch of great games over the, uh, the long holiday, uh, and another one-on-one on best bets. Uh, we're going to try and nail a two and oh, this like, that's, that's the goal right now. We're- I would love it. <laughs> we're counting on you, buddy. All right, let's, let's jump into this week's slate and let's start with Miami at Kentucky. I'm going to make this Miami plus six. Uh, this is a Tuesday game. I'll be honest. I don't see like when you look at the rosters, Maybe I'm crazy here. I don't see a huge gap between these two teams. I mean, obviously the brand name of Kentucky has some value there, but like they're both very similar in that they're built around guard play. But I think right now I kind of trust the depth and continuity a little more with Miami. I mean, obviously there's no Isaiah Wong, no Jordan Miller, but most of that final four team is back and they have something that Kentucky doesn't have. And that's a Norshad O'Meara. Like they have a, a, an, an eraser in the middle and a guy who makes you not want to go inside. And Kentucky, for the most part this season, has been punching down. The, the exceptions are a loss to Kansas in the United Center, where they ran out of gas and blew a 14-point lead, one of the ones that I was on the right side of. Uh, I had Kansas in that game. I'm like, oh, I'm dead here. Kansas comes back from down 14 in the second half and, and wins and covers. Uh, but then Kentucky has an overtime win against St. Joseph's. Yes, I'll just, yes, I, yes. 
an offensively limited St. Joe's team. I was trying to think of the right descriptor. I didn't want to say a, a shitty St. Joe's team, but I, I'll say an offensive, offensively limited St. Joe's team. And aside from Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell, which, by the way, Trey Mitchell on his fourth team now. Remember when he transferred to Texas from UMass? He was great at UMass way back when. He was great. And then after a year at Texas, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to West Virginia. And then he's now he's at Kentucky. It's like he just keeps going. But besides those two guys, Reeves and Mitchell, the only guys on Kentucky who have gotten minutes, six freshmen, one sophomore. I like I, give me the team that's been to the final four. Uh as usual, I could see I could see back in this Kentucky team, if they have this exact line, you know, a month or two from now, might be a different story. But with all these young green ball handlers, I think I'll back the Canes early here, uh, catching a couple possessions. What do you think? Yeah, I see no reason to uh, get off the Kentucky is not as good as their uh, name brand suggests they are. I mean, looking at the three-point totals from their games this year, uh, the lowest so far has been 23 uh, launched against Texas A&M Commerce. Um, when we get to real teams, 38 against Kansas uh, in the United Center, it went well for a half. And uh, I think... I'm not certain, but I think Antonio Reeves is still shooting threes. I'm not sure. I think he was one for 17 or something like that, or two for 17 in that one. So, um, I mean, you if you had KU in that one, I'm sure you watched a lot closer than I did. Uh, I watched the St. Joseph's matchup, which St. Joe's coming off a pretty embarrassing loss going into Rupp and shooting a bunch of threes, like I guess is kind of the game these days. Uh, I think Cal is lost. Um, he no longer has by far the best team out there, and that's been a big, big problem for him. So, um, yes, Miami, I mean, what a great run to the Final Four last year, uh, and they've lost the two most important pieces, I think, potentially. I mean, you could argue that Nigel Pack is, is maybe more important, but uh, I feel like Wong was the, the killer shot maker and of shot clock. I feel like Miller put up such an incredible like double-double stat line every night, but... Um, I mean, I'm still here for a Nigel Pack three-point shot at the buzzer to get you back in the number in between uh, the six-point spread you're projecting. That's monstrously big, yes, because of a, a huge home court advantage at Rupp and what will be probably a, a sold-out arena of 30,000 fans. But as you mentioned, Miami, they've been uh, through this before. They went all the way to the Final Four and uh, basically fought an entire crowd of UConn fans. So. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's Miami or nothing. And honestly, it's a it's the time of the year once we're out of this kind of uh, MTEs, the the tournaments that we're really looking at home field advantages, home court advantages, and seeing what's most important. And Kentucky's got a great one, but uh, I think it is um, superseded by the respect from odds makers and really from the betting public that Kentucky gets. And I just don't think they deserve it. So uh, Miami or nothing for me. I mean, even all the way down to a, a three point spread, I feel like there's still value in Miami just hanging around with Kentucky and potentially having some free throws late beside it. Yes. You're not really getting a ton of insurance there, but even at plus three, I think I like Miami. So six would be delightful. Yeah, and we'll see. Again, these are projections. Uh, I, I I think it'll be it'll certainly be higher than three, in my opinion. Like I, I think like the the worst it could be for Miami is four, uh, and if that's the case, I'll, I'll be on Miami there too, probably. All right, let's look at Tennessee and North Carolina. We're gonna go with Tennessee plus two at North Carolina, and I'm gonna lean to North Carolina here. And the reason is pretty simple. Like normally, you know, I I love this Tennessee team. I love Rick Barnes teams. But for the most part, the Tennessee's looked solid this year. They're going to be a strong defensive team already shooting better from three and from the free throw line than they did a year ago. But the two teams that they lost to early in the season have one thing in common, 
and that is dominant big men. And Edie went 23 and 10. Hunter Dickinson went 17 and 19. Armando Baycott's not quite those guys, but he's like the, the next tier right below them. And he dominated the early season by games for North Carolina, slowed down a little bit when the competition got tougher against Northern Iowa and, and, and Arkansas. What it boils down to for Tennessee is they've got Jonas Adu, but not much else when it comes to stopping the the size of these other teams. And I, I really think Kamwa's loss to Michigan is is definitely being felt when you go up against these monster big men. And it's probably going to be felt here. Um, on top of just Baycott, like Harrison Ingram, who transferred from Stanford, uh, has been a beast on the glass. Jalen Washington's been very strong on the glass. And if Adu gets in foul trouble, remember, he fouled out in 13 minutes of time on the floor against Edie. He was done. Tennessee's depth becomes an issue. So I, I think I lean to North Carolina here just based on the fact that it doesn't seem like Tennessee has the size to match up with these big men who can score the basketball. I'm not as concerned. Uh, I really feel like Armando Baycott probably sleeps in Zach Eady pajamas. Uh, I just don't think they're really even close. I mean, yes, great big big men with a ton of hype and expectation. Uh, Baycott also. Let's not forget that Mikey Dixon at, at uh, six foot eight, I think two inches smaller than Armando Baycott, put up 34 points in an overtime game. Yes, but was still completely dominant and really, I thought, taught Mondo how to play basketball. Um, so uh, there's a big, I think, gap. There's a reason why Mondo is still in college and hasn't gone to the pros when he was supposed to three or four years ago. Um, I'm not as concerned about that. Certainly, that's where you initially start with North Carolina are the bigs. It's what they're traditionally have been for a very long time. Um, and you got to stop there before you worry about the rest of the players. But uh, besides RJ Davis, uh, yes, Harrison Ingram, you mentioned, has been off to an awesome starter for transferring from, from Stanford with his former teammate, teammate Cormac Ryan, uh, who had, I think had a stop at Notre Dame in between. He hurt his ankle in uh, whatever tournament. There's so many. I think Battle for Atlantis um, this past week. Uh, who knows with the impact of Tennessee traveling back from Honolulu. Uh, back to the mainland, it probably would. I don't want to say it's going to be enough to keep me away, uh, but a really short spread on Tennessee on the road at North Carolina does concern me a little bit after all that travel. As you mentioned, there's a depth problem up front. I think Tennessee will be smaller than than Carolina inside, but I feel like ADU, as you mentioned, is a, a perfect matchup, I think, for Baycott. And if he can stay out of foul trouble, that's a huge benefit for him. But I feel like Awaka also played and showed kind of, despite being, I think, listed six foot eight, maybe a little bit shorter than that, that he was kind of the the backup five-man defensively, and then there's some younger bodies behind them. That's certainly a scary part, but I've kind of learned in uh, just more modern college basketball after the everyone playing a power forward and a center, it really to me is a guard's game. But then you come into Tennessee and their shooting problems. So uh, that's a fear for me. I, I think Ziegler is still not exactly the same guy he was before his ACL tear. I hope that improves. Uh, Vescovy is so hard to know what's going to happen. And so I think a lot's going to fall on, on uh, this new guy, Connect. And uh, I think here there's some possibilities in that Tennessee goes into Carolina, gets a win here. Um, I really, I'm kind of looking to back as many home favorites as possible this year, especially the small ones, three points and below. Uh, I feel like that was a, a huge reason for my success last year. I don't think Carolina are one of those that I want to back, but I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious with my road dogs because unfortunately things can go haywire and go really, really wrong if you're backing a road team. 
All right, well, I'll give you another chance. A little disagreement there. I'll give you another chance to back a short home favorite here. Texas A&M, we're going to go plus one at Virginia. This might be a pick. This is going to be a close line. I knew I was high on A&M coming into the season. I'm getting more and more into them as the year goes on. They are by far my most bet on team this year. I've, I've three and one betting their games. Um, I it, t- Tonight was a great example. We're recording this on Sunday night. Tonight they were without Henry Coleman and Tyrese Radford, like two of their key guys, seniors. They got probably the worst game of, maybe ever from Wade Taylor. He was 0 of 6 from 3, 8 turnovers. They got beat on the glass and they still got a 4-point win against a solid Iowa State team. Like that's that's impressive to me. This they're not a great shooting team, but they're the best offensive rebounding team in the country in in the discussion anyway. And they don't turn the ball over. They're super experienced, they're they're deep and they're going to be very comfortable playing at Virginia's pace. And I just think I mean, Virginia is a bad rebounding team, you, like on both sides, really. They don't prioritize rebounding a better shooting team. But I, I think the extra possessions you're going to get with A&M in this game, it's the way I kind of lean to. So uh, I'll probably looking to be looking to back A&M again, especially if I'm getting any kind of points. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you here. Um, I honestly was frantically trying to figure out. That's one of the numbers I was talking about where I was like, why am I so far off the market? What the heck's going on here? And then I've fortunately checked a Texas A&M college basketball Twitter account uh, and saw a weird starting lineup tonight that didn't include Coleman nor Radford. So that's fortunately, I guess, unfortunately, because they ended up coming back and, and winning. But yeah, and I don't have an answer for why. Like, I mean, it'd be it, if they're not playing, I'm sure I'm less confident in this. But I mean, the fact that they were able to beat Iowa State without them says something for sure. Yeah, it does. Uh, two mirror images there. Uh, I'm not sure how different. I'll get into that in a second. Coleman, I think, was an ankle injury. And then Radford was having trouble breathing, which is scary for a 23, 24, 25. Actually, there might be some 27-year-olds playing college basketball at this point. I don't know, especially if you check BYU. Who knows? Checking birth certificates. But back to this one. Uh, Virginia A&M, uh, from Virginia's, the games that I've watched of them this season, I've been very concerned about them inside. Uh, they don't seem to have any sort of big guys at all uh, to the point where like Tanner Groves or whichever one of the Groves um, wants to play literally on the three point line the whole time. And to me, he's their most experienced, experienced big guy. Um, they're very small, uh, which if if Coleman's playing, that's a huge, huge concern for Virginia. Even Levesque behind him, I feel like would be pretty decent as well. Um, so I don't really know what type of number we're going to see here especially considering how much the line moved i think it closed maybe three and a half from a pick with iowa state tonight um sunday night and didn't seem to matter too much for AM, as you mentioned with a really bad game for their point guard missing two important players but still had a huge game and huge result really uh i think virginia are a team i'm looking to be against as much as possible i i don't really think that their backcourt's good enough um, they've got a weird transfer in at p- playing point guard. Beekman seems very alone. And then a bunch of young kind of running around screens, uh, six foot four, six foot six guys, uh, all seemingly very little athleticism too. And I think A&M is going to really exploit that. Uh, Buzz is a great coach. I feel like Tony Bennett, I'm getting worried that like maybe those days of him being so dominant are gone. I'm actually looking forward to those because I pretty much despise Virginia. Um, I think I'm very interested in an A&M plus anything number here, um, though I think that injury report is going to be very important. Yeah, uh, Dante Harris, anytime you get a transfer from Georgetown 
and he starts for you, that that yes. that's throwing me dangerous. off a little bit. That's not dangerous. a that's not a wise decision, I don't think. So it feels like we we agree a little on this one. Uh, let's go to. I'm going to give you a home dog here, and I'm going to go Duke minus four at Arkansas. It was a, to put it kindly, a pretty rough trip to the Bahamas for Arkansas. Uh, they started out with a double overtime win against Stanford, a team that they probably should have handled. And then they lost to Memphis and just got absolutely trucked by North Carolina. And as much as I love these MTEs as a fan and as a better, it certainly feels like Duke not playing in one has them in a really nice position right now. They've had three or four days off between every game. The only travel they've done was a one-off trip to Chicago. So while this is their first true road game of the season, it certainly feels like they're prepared for it and rested for it. And the Hogs at home are just 1-3 ATS, which is weird, including including getting beat by North Carolina Greensboro by 15, or as 15-point favorites. They lost that game outright. Like, that's not Arkansas. Arkansas, normally, you can count on them at home. Like, it, it, I mean, for a long time, if I saw Arkansas Plus at home, it was, like, automatic. Uh, it, it may take some time. He's got a heavy transfer team here, and, and it may take some time for Musk to get these guys in order. Uh, and I generally think Arkansas has a big coaching edge here. But this Duke team has a nice blend of experience and youth, and they have a real problem matchup in Filipowski. So I think until Musk figures it out, I, I worry that you know he's he doesn't have a great team right now, uh, and I I think Duke, if you're not a great team, Duke should be able to handle you. So I, I lean to the Devils here. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm Arkansas or nothing. I think um, home court advantage, as I've already mentioned, is super important. But uh, I just am not a believer in this Duke team, and I think they're going to have to prove it. Uh, a home game against Arizona, a neutral site against Michigan State, who you could argue has been one of the worst uh, of the quote unquote blue bloods that I think That's should true. be kicked out of the Champions Classic because uh, when was their last championship or even Final Four appearance, Sweet Sixteen, whatever we want to call it? Maybe Sweet Sixteen last year, but uh, but anyway, uh, I think Arkansas big. Big question for me and concern is Shaman Mark, who I think had 32 or 30-something in that last game and I think broke his hip or hurt his back really bad late in the game, said he didn't have any feeling in his like lower extremities for a little while, which is concerning. So don't expect he's going to be back for this one on Wednesday. But um, I think to your point, Arkansas starts years in a, a very weird position. Um, this team doesn't it seems very transfer heavy in the like on the bench essentially, but they've got three pretty important players that were around. I mean, uh, Trayvon Brazil coming off of, uh, I think an ACL injury. So, um, maybe working him back in is kind of like a new player as well. Um, and he's the guy who's going to be charged with handling Filipowski, I assume. Uh, maybe uh, Makai Mitchell is probably more of a just defense and block shots, rebounding type that you could certainly put on him, which has a lot more length. Uh, I'm not sure what happened if his twin got lost, if he's still on the roster or something like that, because they seem to kind of follow each other around from place to place to place. But um, I- I'm I'm kind of a seller on Filipowski at this point, seller on John Shire, of course. Um, and yeah. the numbers that you were thinking of, I mean, any sort of plus money or, or plus one or higher on Arkansas, I think I'm very interested. Yes, it uh, takes a little bit to back them. Uh, I did back them against North Carolina on Friday, and that was pretty ugly. I think they covered the first half like with a great comeback and then 
um, really fell apart in the second. The injury occurred and kind of things went, went haywire. You mentioned the Stanford game. That was not easy. They should have lost, I think, in regulation and basically uh, should have won first OT and then choked it up and had to, to win it basically the game again in two OT. Um, could certainly question how energetic they are, but I think Bud Walton will be uh, as lit as possible for a Duke visit. So uh, that is a uh, stay away from Duke. I warn everyone, um, yes, they might be in a better position and maybe Duke do get a win or does get a win in there, uh, but it's Arkansas or nothing for me, especially as the number gets higher. Ken Palm's uh, top, 10, um, t- top 10 player of the year guys right now. Kyle Filipowski, the only lower classman uh in his top 10 so uh and he's sitting at number four behind Edie Dickinson and uh Jadon Lede from San Diego State so it, it's I don't know I I'm I'm not in the cell Filipowski I am in sort of cell John Shire certainly I don't think much of him I think there's a massive coaching edge here but I, I just don't I'm not and especially without Mark like that's their that's kind of their he I don't want to say he – I think he's their best player on their team. I think he was going to be the best player on their team. I don't know how long he's out for, but it's certainly a big loss in my opinion. Yeah, don't disagree there. Uh, Devontae Davis, I think, was the Arkansas best player and kind of took a little bit of a second role. Maybe it was just Tremel Mark being super hot uh, before he got injured. But that's certainly, as they're trying to find someone to go to on this new team, reestablishing like new roles after six games or something like that is certainly not how you want to start a season. So there's definitely some concern and some uh, – the, the, the team is in flux, we'll put it that way. But uh, I think this is a great spot to, to really perform or maybe outperform expectations. I think it, a lot depends on what type of number we're getting. But I, I think it seems like Torvik agrees we're expecting some sort of underdog number here. So uh, I'm pretty interested in the Hogs if that number does uh, come to fruition. And I would imagine we get a lot more Khalif battle – uh, with Traymon Mark out, who uh, I imagine he gets moved into the starting lineup. Uh, I mean, an- another transfer. Which could be good, could sure. be, uh, you know, uh, I think he wears zero because no one can guard him. Uh, I'm not sure how, how true that's been so far this season, <laughs> but uh, there also was some struggles at Temple. But, you know, they've got talent as always. Um, it's really about meshing it together and Arkansas, and I think they're one of those teams that in February they look a lot different than they do in November. All right, before we get into best bets, Griffin, tell the people how they can save at pregame.com. Use the promo code LEFTOVERS30, you know, for all the tryptophan that's been in your fridge, in your stomach, on your slices of bread, whatever you've been doing with it. $30 off for all listeners of this college basketball podcast. Good through uh, November 27th is when we're releasing it, so good for another week. We'll extend that a little bit further. Leftovers 30, good for $30 off anything on this uh, pregame.com website. Uh, go in there, save some money, get some free plays, and uh, hopefully find some some extra money to throw on some Christmas presents or whatever you celebrate, throw it under whatever tree or lamp or lantern or whatever you got going for the family as we get through this holiday season. All right. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'm going to give you the choice this week. I'll- let, let me start it off. Right. I, I need to break this streak. Um, and I'm going to go with a, a home dog. Uh, I think you're giving me Mississippi a three-point underdog at home to North Carolina State in this big SEC-ACC battle. Uh, give me Chris Beard. It's uh, really weird as a Texas alum to be seeing him on a sideline uh, after allegations and things that never seem to turn into charges. So I guess that's enough for Ole Miss. Um, and really this Mississippi team, I feel like at home will be in a little bit better of a situation. I think SEC have been putting a ton of more emphasis on basketball. I think this hire has been big for Ole Miss as well. 
Uh, and NC State, I feel like have changed a lot of their team. So I'm not as concerned about uh, the, the North Carolina State press or because um, they're mixing in a lot of new bodies. The same thing that Mississippi will be doing. And I think Chris Beard is uh, great in the sideline. I prefer him to Kevin Keats and getting three points at home in a, an early season game that I feel like might be taken a little bit more lightly by NC State. Yes, a big trip to Ole Miss to another big gym might be important to them. Um, but I just don't know that they would look at Ole Miss, especially after a really poor season last year and take them as seriously as Ole Miss will be as this could be the first big or decent win of the Chris Beard era. So take Mississippi plus three. Um, I'd probably play them all the way to minus one as a short favorite at home. Uh, I'm looking for any sort of plus money on a team I think will win, uh, especially at home. So that certainly fits the bill. Uh, But take Ole Miss plus three all the way down to minus one, and uh, let's let's get away. And first road game of the season for NC State, which is usually a good thing. Usually, it's a good good spot to back the uh, the home team there. Uh, It'll be an interesting, uh, like a a pace matchup. Ole Miss playing super slow early on. NC State playing very fast. So uh, that'll be interesting for sure. All right, I'm going to go to Wednesday's slate. By the way, that game is on Tuesday. uh, So. I'm going to go on Wednesday, and I'm going to go to the Valley. Um, Bradley minus four at Murray State. And I'm going to go Bradley for my best bet here. And it's scary to bet against Murray State at home. Like, basically, every game they won last year was at home. It was going to take them a little while to transition up from the OVC to the Missouri Valley. Um, And, again, this is a home game, so that's a little scary. But while I believe their their home court is legit, I I still think – Bradley is the team to beat in in the Missouri Valley. Bradley's the best defensive team in the conference. The question was how well the offense was going to play, and so far it's answered all those questions. The the three point percentage, two point percentage, free throw rate, or free throw percentage, they're all up from a year ago, and they've played a pretty challenging schedule. They're six and zero. They've yet to face a team outside the Ken Palm top two hundred. In fact, Murray at one sixty nine is the lowest rated team they've played to date, and this is an undersized Murray team. They're, the the guy getting the minutes at the five is Eastern Illinois transfer Nick Ellington. He's six foot seven. Bradley has two six foot nine seniors who are on the floor at the same time. They're going to cause matchup problems on both ends. They're very versatile. Murray's still getting a lot of name brand love in the market, and they're sitting at two and three with a home loss already to Western Kentucky. I don't know how much more time we're going to have to fade them at a good number before people kind of figure out that. Murray State in in the Missouri Valley is not the same as Murray State in the Ohio Valley. Uh, big difference in in competition there, and I think Bradley really sort of uh, exposes that. So I like Bradley minus four on the road on Wednesday for my best bet. Yeah, big differences in valleys between Ohio and uh, Missouri, I guess. Um, but also, you get a really good opportunity to fade Steve Prom against a much better coach than Brian Wardle. So yep. uh, Bradley, I watched their game against Vermont this weekend, uh, had the Catamounts, and if not for uh, some missed free throws at the end, Vermont would have maybe snuck inside the number, but Bradley deserved it, played really well at home. Uh, were winners in their tournament, I think, in California as well. Yeah. Some good wins as as slight favorites um, in both their matchups. So uh, I'm really hoping that Bradley stays under the radar as long as possible. But, of course, with all our listeners and all the money that's going to flow in on AJ's really impressive best bet streak so far on this podcast, <laughs> uh, I think we might have let the, uh, the, the horses out of the barn. 
per se well, uh, Murray State reference there potentially. We'll, we'll ride it while we can. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. We'll be back on our normal schedule, so that means back on Thursday for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday edition. We've got some good games coming up this weekend as well. So uh, so be ready for that. It's going to be a, a, a heck of a card, it looks like, at least based on what I'm seeing. A lot of teams taking this week off and then playing this weekend. So uh, while if you thought, well, these aren't really big games that these guys are talking about, well, we'll, we'll have some big ones for you uh, coming up this next episode. Griffin, appreciate the time as always, and thanks to all of you for listening. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. <laughs>